Welcome to it. Good afternoon. Five minutes after uh, four o'clock. We are ready to go. We hope you are as well. Leah is in the uh, is in the chair doing all the heavy lifting to this afternoon. So if you feel like making that phone call, please do. Lines are open. You have questions about severance or COVID-19 or temporary layoffs or something to do with the pandemic. That's fine. Or just a good old fashioned employment law question. That is why we are here this afternoon for this hour. So uh, so bring it on. We're live ready for your phone call. 604-280-9898. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address we will refer to in uh, in just a bit. And the topics for today, we'll uh, combine these to uh, get to one than the other. You need an employment lawyer when that, followed by forced resignations in between your phone calls, if we have enough time for both of those, and possibly some uh, some emails as well. So there you go. We always start off, uh, Leah, with a couple week that was, some situations that you've been dealing with over the last couple weeks. Uh, what do you got today, uh, this afternoon? How are you, pal? Yes, sir. I, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. I am ready to dig into another show, take your questions. You know, when you just started speaking there, you're saying, you know, if anyone out there has any questions with respect to their employment or COVID or temporary layoffs, I'm thinking to myself, who wouldn't have a question about that right now? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just all so up in the air. And so, you know, this is your opportunity. I'm an employment lawyer here in BC and, you know, every week, either myself or Lior or recently, Aaliyah, we take over these airwaves to discuss employment law and that includes all situations all manner of employment law issues so if you're listening in and here's something that sounds like a situation that you're going through or you want to ask one of those questions that you know you've been theorizing about over dinner then give us a call uh, anything uh, doesn't if anything doesn't feel right you want some answers you want to clear the air uh, please let us know or if you're shy about being on the air worried about voice recognition or anything like that you know please don't hesitate to send us an email. So we'll start off as we always do with the week that was, uh, which is some of the things that have come across my desk in the last week or so. And the first one that I wanted to cover is actually also one of the topics that we're going to get to if we've got mm. time today. And that has to do with um, forced resignations. And the reason why I am covering this twice uh, is because I want to make sure that it gets covered uh, because it feels like this is becoming um, much more of a prevalent issue than it has been in the past. My sort of suspicion is that along with a, ho a host of whole other um, things that employers are doing to try to, you know, uh, scale back on the budget and cut costs, uh, this is definitely one of them. And that is trying to get employees to resign and you as an employee in your head are thinking, well, if I've resigned, then I'm not owed severance. Um, and a lot of employees out there think that if you've essentially agreed to that, then you don't have any recourse. And, you know, this past week in particular, I had a, a woman call me who had been employed with her company for about 10 years as an office manager. And, you know, one day her boss calls her uh, and says, I mean, I'm going to send something through to you over email. So take a look at it. And it's a draft separation agreement and it has mm. the word draft basically watermarked all over it. You know, there's not much conversation in front of her or, or it's not much conversation about it, but it's it's put in front of her. And she's told that, you know, there were some changes that the company was considering and that there's some restructuring in the works and that people were going to have to be let go. You know, she in that moment, of course, says, am I being fired? And the boss says, no, no, not yet. <laughs> so she goes back to her job, oh. terrified that the axe is coming. And a few days later, she gets called into the meeting with her yeah. boss and is told that her position is on the chopping block. 
and that, you know, perhaps it would just be better for her to resign, right? Save oh. face and, you know, and resign. And he makes it sound like he's doing her this big favor, right? That it's going to be better for her reputation, that she'll have a better answer in interviews for why she's unemployed. And, you know, her, her record of employment won't have the big scarlet letter F on it, oh right, God. for fired. So she does it. She signs the resignation letter because, and I get why, all of that sounds reasonable, right? All of that does sound like it's a favor, right? So this woman con connected with me um, just to make sure that sort of everything was above board. She had already signed it, but she wanted to, to chat with me about the situation to see if that was legal. And, um, you know, I, what I told her essentially is that anytime you are forced to put pen to paper, right? Anytime that resignation was not in your contemplation and you are forced to essentially say the words, I quit or sign the line on, a, on in this case, a letter that was drafted for you, that is not a resignation. It's a termination, plain and simple. And anybody who's in that situation is going to be entitled to be paid severance. Um, you know, her boss in this instant didn't, didn't give her the option of resigning because it was better for her. He did that because it was better for him, right? Totally. Because again, you don't have to pay someone severance if they resign. And he, like many employers, are trying to save a couple of bucks right now. Uh, and again, I, you know, I can certainly understand why this was attractive to my client. It can be a big hit to the ego to say that you've been fired. And it can appear almost like mercy to be able to frame it as something that was your decision if you know it's coming down the pike anyway, right? I get it. But other than that component of pride, other than being able to say, oh, no, 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 I wasn't fired. This was 100% my call. That is the only benefit. Putting resignation on your record of employment actually could also disentitle you to employment insurance benefits, right? So signing a resignation letter means you will probably have to spend your hard-earned money on hiring a lawyer to get to get you what you should have just received in the first place, which is your severance, right? In this case, an office manager in her 60s with 10 years of service, I mean, she's looking easily at a 10 to 12, maybe even more uh, months of severance. So don't quit unless you're quitting. Okay, don't quit unless you're quitting. That is the new motto. A forced resignation is not a resignation, it is a termination. And if you are in this scenario, you are entitled to severance, as is my client here. And there's this, you know, this this misbelief that there's some sort of, you know, repository, this, you know, Santa's naughty list of, of record when you, you know, all it's going to say I was fired, <laughs> not resigned. I want that. There's no permanent record. There's no archive in the government of, of that of this nature. That's what I think people are afraid of. It looks better on my quote unquote permanent record if it says resigned rather than fired. Well, that's 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 it's in the vapor. Nobody that's not there. So, again, it's attractive for employers yeah. to put that out there and say, hey, you know what? If anybody's looking around skulking around your record it's going to say you know it's complete bs really right oh yeah it really really is and i and i i understand why people have that impression you know because you get this filed record of employment and for most people you can maybe access it through my account on cra's website but other than that i mean is it yeah. just out there in the ether is there some like employer database where you can, everybody right. can just log on and see somebody's history with all the records of employment and the answer is no that is your document. No one is ever going to see that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you can pretty much say whatever you want in interviews as long as it's the truth. And I mean, I speak with clients about this all the time. You can definitely, you know, massage your way. I mean, if lawyers are good at anything, it is massaging their way around language. And, you know, what all you need to do is just make sure that you are 
telling the truth, but you also don't really need to get specific. So really at the end of the day, other than that sense of pride that you may have um, in terms of being able to say that you called that shot before they did, that is really and truly the only benefit here. The number is 604-280-9898. You want to call in and have a uh, question about what we just spoke about or your own matter when it comes to your employment and your job. Uh, feel free to call in this afternoon. It's uh, 413, so you still got some time before we uh, take a break here in a couple minutes. But, uh, yeah, call anytime this hour. Uh, second matter, what else you got going on? Well, I wanted to, to chat briefly about um, a case out of the U.K., actually, because oh. it's related a lot to uh, to something that my firm is spearheading here in Canada, and that is with respect to Uber drivers. So in the UK this past week, Uber drivers in London were officially called and characterized as employees, not oh, wow. as contractors. Wow. Yeah, big, big, big decision coming yep. out of the UK. And it's big for us here too, and it's particularly big for our firm because we are heading a class action on behalf of Uber drivers to be classified as employees and to have all of the protections of the provincial employment standards legislation. Um, but you know that is a, a battle that is going to be fought on a different day, and, and I have no doubt that we will prevail. But I thought that I would also sort of use that opportunity to just sort of highlight very quickly for our listeners that you know this is a trap that many people fall into and a lot of people hear us make this distinction and go yeah okay sure i understand why there's a difference between independent contractors and employees and i understand that there is one but that i don't think that that applies to me but i want you to think for a second about what you know about uber drivers or any kind of you know shared ride sort of service mm -hmm. if those individuals can be characterized as employees, then, I mean, I, I'm sure that that is going to, in some way, shift most people's framework of how they think about the employment relationship. Yes. It is really not so much about showing up at your office, punching in your, your time card, sitting at a desk from nine to five. I mean, that's particularly true in the pandemic now when we're all remote working. What right. an employee is, is going to be very, very different than what it's been historically. And I think is going to really come down to dependence, financial dependence, dependence on you know what you're doing in a day-to-day, -day, how much control you have over your own livelihood and ability to earn. Um, I think that those are going to be the key factors going forward into this new gig economy and remote working environment. And so really, it's just something to keep in mind, even if you've called yourself an independent contractor, even if you've never even thought in a million years you would classify yourself as an employee, there's a chance you could be. And there's a chance you yeah. could be leaving money on the table if you just walk away from that. So something to keep in mind. Correct. It is 419. Welcome back to the show, Employment Law Show here on CKNW. Phone lines open, ready for you. Bring it on. Don't uh, scratch your head any longer. You have a question about your employment, maybe you're an employer. That's fair game as well. It's 604-280-9898. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address we'll try to get to in a little while. But uh, we'll get to Bill. Hey, Bill, thanks for hanging on for a moment. Good afternoon. How are you? Yeah, no problem. Uh Appreciate it. Love your show. I recorded on the TV most of it. But anyways, my question is, okay, I'm an Uber driver, and I'm also a Lyft driver. Am I considered an employee for both uh, both firms? Very well could be, yes. So I'm, moon I'm moonlighting then. Is that what you're saying? 
<laughs> well, I mean, I think that ultimately what it's going to come down to is how much, you know, control you have over your situation. So if you are working 95% of your time at Uber and 5% at Lyft, then I would say that you are primarily an employee of Uber. It's also possible that you could be an employee of both, just like somebody can hold down two part-time jobs, right? It really just right. depends on the individual scenarios um, and what sort of control uh, or lack of control you have over your own ability to work. So, I mean, yeah. we are taking the position as a firm on behalf of Uber drivers um, in Ontario that Uber drivers are employees. And so I think it stands to reason that unless, you know, you, you are, what you're not telling me is that you have always had a business driving people around. You just did it in your private vehicle. And now you're sort of loaning out your services to these ride sharing companies. You could very well be an employee of both places. I see. Uh, then the question of course is, uh, I do my taxes as if I'm a uh, contractor and do my all expenses and everything else uh, from that. And then the net, I get a net income off of that. Uh, uh, if I'm an employee, I have to change that, I presume. Yes, yeah, so it would need to be changed. Now, I will say that for the most part, those are going to be two, it's largely the same analysis, but they are two separate streams. So just because you pursue your entitlements for employment-related reasons or benefit or salary or severance-related reasons doesn't mean anything necessarily about how things are going to be structured going forward or how, you know, whether or not we're going to revisit it in the past. But if you are properly an employee, it is absolutely true that Service Canada, Canada Revenue Agency may at some point say, hey, you know, you were paying the your HST um, or your GST and PST, but what you really needed to be paying was X amount and your employer also needed to be withholding X amount, right? Um, the, right. The, main, the main area of liability in this situation is actually on the employer. That's why employers fight this so hard is because if you end up going to Service Canada um, or CRA and there is a finding that you are an employee and all of the drivers are employees, then it's the employer that is going to have to do a bunch of back pay. It's the employer who's going to get in trouble for not withholding and may even get fined. Okay, thank you. That's good. You're welcome. Thank, thank you, Bill. Appreciate that. And thanks for your time this afternoon. And if you want to uh, reach out for a further conversation off air with Leah or a member of her team at the firm, that is no problem. And you can do that by calling 604-283-3123. Again, 604-283-3123. The email address we use is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Should mention as well that any time that we're, uh, we're not on air, or as Bill mentioned, the TV show, by the way, you want to see past episodes of our long-running show, you can go to employmentlawyer.ca. That'll give you links to the TV show as well. When you're not watching that, you can use the website pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. There's a ton of employment law information up there. Many of your questions can be answered by just doing a little scrolling on that particular uh, page, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, free, anonymous. And if you want to reach out from there, you can, and there's a, a contact button at the uh, the top right. Bill brought up an interesting point, though. I mean, if it with the class action suits in, in Ontario against Uber calling basically all their, their contractors, they are actually, by um, by definition, employees. If, it, if this gets decided in the next year, two years, whatever, will they have to retroactively look back at what they've made over the last several years, or, or that's generally not what would happen? It would be from a go-forward basis. 
Uh, no, I mean, you if they decide to audit the situation, then there mm -hmm. might be a repayment obligation, um, you know, or it might just need to be restructured depending on how yeah. it's been structured to that point. I, I do always think that the employer's got more liability in that situation. And my view, whenever somebody, you know, brings that up, I mean, it's a completely fair point. And, you know, that is often why um, workers enter into these arrangements and are willing to call themselves independent contractors is because it's good for their taxes, right? They can write stuff off and, you know, they can handle all their own affairs in that, in that sense. Um, but if you really are an employee, then I, I, my view, and maybe this is just the lawyer in me, is that you should be on the straight and narrow from a tax perspective too, right? So yeah. if you are properly considered to be an employee, then I think that undertake that analysis now, get all of the benefits of, of employment and you know get on whatever tax structure you need to on a go forward basis. The topic we are talking about in between the phone calls and uh, bring them on, you still got time, 604-280-9898 is this. You need an employment lawyer when? We're gonna get through this list and break down each one. The first one, big one, well, you've been fired. Yeah, you could use an employment lawyer then for sure. Yes. And, and I mean, I, I use, you know, the term need quite purposefully here, right? I yeah. mean, my view is that this is not, I mean, this is also when you want an employment lawyer, but I do think it goes beyond that. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I think is really important to keep in mind is that when we're talking about, you know, your straightforward dismissal, so somebody has been fired, right? We aren't talking about the reason for your termination. A lot of individuals think, oh, I don't need a lawyer because I understand that my company is in financial distress. I understand that we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, I, I get it. They were getting rid of the department. They've got a new vision going forward. And I understand the business reasons for the company's decision, right? That is not what I look at. That's not what any employment lawyer looks at uh, for the most part. An employment lawyer looks at what your severance package is. And the, the truth of the matter, the fact is that most employers, and by most, I mean upwards of 90%, will not give you the severance you are entitled to as a first offer. And, and I say as a first offer because most, most of them then will after some negotiation. So retaining a lawyer or even just speaking with one after you've been fired doesn't mean you're going to court. It doesn't mean you're in for a two-year battle and you're going to pay much more in legal fees than you'll ever get back. Some employers just need to be called out on it. And, you know, we exchange a couple letters. I write a letter to the company. They write back. We exchange a couple up offers. And then we resolve it. And you've got a severance package that much more closely mirrors what you are entitled to hmm. than you would have anyway. So my view, and particularly because we as a firm here, provide free consultations for individuals who have been fired um, in a straightforward context. Sure. So I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, you haven't been terminated for performance issues uh, or, you know, you're not trying to claim a constructive dismissal or anything like that. It's just, you know, somebody you've been terminated. We offer free consultations in that instance. So why not? Right. Why wouldn't you call an employment lawyer? You can always make the decision to accept the package on the table. Right. The, the, there's, there's no cost to you. It's really just a matter of making sure that you have all of the information that you need in order to make the best decision possible. And if that's to sign on the dotted line because you're okay with walking away from $10,000, then that's completely your call. But imagine you call a lawyer and they say you're actually entitled to $100,000.
Right. Right. That's that's a big yeah. difference. And that's probably something that you want to know before you put your name on the dotted line. So, yes, you need an employment lawyer when you have been fired, if for no other reason than to assess the most simplest of things, which is how much money you're getting. It's such a it's such a simple phone call. Too many people rely on, oh, my friend got let go the other day and, you know, he did this and his lawyer told him that. So you think the scenario is going to be the, exactly the same for you or you got a friend who's a real estate lawyer. He helped me out or, you know, my neighbor <laughs> Steve across the fence gave me the advice. I mean, don't go down any of those paths just for a simple, basic conversation with you. 60, 90 seconds you can tell them if they need to carry on a conversation any further than the first one. So, I mean, it's always a good plan just to do exactly that, right? Exactly. And you know, never trust a real estate lawyer is my motto. <laughs> Not really. I apologize to all of my real estate lawyer Unless friends. Unless you're buying a house, then you're good to go. Yeah. Yes, yes, you're buying a house, exactly. don't trust Leah. Leah's not where you want to go yes. if you want to buy a house. That's where you need oh, a real 100%. estate lawyer. Oh, 100%. <laughs> do not trust me if you are buying a house. Do not yeah. trust me if you need advice on anything other than employment law issues. Um, exactly. You know, this is why this is my area of expertise. That is why home buying is a real estate lawyer's area of expertise. Right. You want specific expert advice. If this was something that people could deal for, um, you know, solve for you through looking for Google, then I wouldn't have a job at all, right? Totally. And I know that this sounds very self-serving, uh, you know, justifying my existence here, but that is that is the truth of it. So, gotcha. you know, take all the anecdotes you want, but at the end of the day, everybody's situation is unique and you should have your specific situation reviewed by a lawyer. Uh, at the time that it happens. Got some time to call in with your questions about employment laws. It's uh, for yourself or for a, a colleague. You've been let go. You think it might be coming down the pike or you're an employer and you're thinking uh, that time might be coming. You want to know how to navigate those particular waters to, to be fair for your employees. Uh, call right now. Call the show 604-283. Uh, pardon me. That's a, Actually, no, I'll give you that number. That's to get a hold of Lee after the show. 604-283-3123. But here now on air. Uh, 604-280-9898 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. Okay, you need an employment lawyer when? Here's the next one on our list. Your employer is giving you bad performance reviews and you simply don't agree with what they're saying. Oh, yes. And, and maybe this is, to be fair, one where you don't need a lawyer. I think that you need the advice I'm about to give you, but if you listen to this show, then you should be able to navigate it fairly well. I think that this is a situation where a lot of people find that they want a lawyer. And the reason why is because it just feels good to know that there's somebody in your corner, right? You know that there is somebody that you have that you can call to, uh, to run stuff by, to make sure that everything is on the up and up. And you know, this particular case we see all the time, right? So usually when a new manager has been hired or a business has been sold or some other change happens and you start getting the sense that you're being set up to fail and you're getting these bad performance reviews, all of a sudden people are holding you to these standards that you didn't even know existed and you certainly don't agree with. Uh, and you know, all of a sudden you're getting disciplined and you're getting warnings about it. And usually what this indicates is that the employer is attempting to build a case to terminate for cause and therefore without severance. Now that's that can be very difficult to do, but in the one the case where a business is sold, you've got a the you know the buying the the buy the purchaser company has just inherited a number of employees all with years of service that you know they didn't get the benefit of and if they fire without cause then they're going to owe for all of those years of severance so you have a lot of employers saying okay well let's just you know put in a year of bad performance reviews and and you know terminate for cause 
If this starts to occur, it's really important that you take steps to preempt this and respond to this. So for example, I always recommend that an employee who gets a, a performance review that they don't agree with drafts a response. And, and I do think that it's important that it's in writing and that you mm -hmm. ask the company to include that response in your employment file. You know, some things might be, you know, not just that, you know, I don't agree with it, right? Perhaps you were, you know, sleeping on your lunch break or whatever the case may be. But if you, if there's anything about the warning or the discipline that's unclear to you, like maybe it's always been a practice that you were allowed to nap at lunchtime and, you know, now new management's come in and they're not letting you nap at lunchtime anymore. You want to make at least that point clear, right? That this wasn't something that you were doing just because you know, you felt like it, this was something you were doing because you thought it was allowed or you saw somebody else doing it or, you know, you had a special arrangement with your previous boss or something, right? You want to explain why the things happen in the way that they happen. Of course, if you don't agree with them at all, right. then you simply want to set out your version of events. And of course, if you, I, I see this all the time, especially in cases where you've got an employer trying to build a case for cause, is you've got you know, these very, very vague, amorphous um, bits of feedback, you know, something mm -hmm. to the effect of, you know, we need you to uh, be more organized. Okay, you know, what does that mean? What specifically right. are you looking for? What does more organized mean in the company's book? And, you know, what are the metrics that you are going to be using to assess whether or not I've become more organized in three months time? So. Even if your response is just asking questions to gain clarity, that is a, a critically important response. Um, you know, if you don't draft a response, then chances are it's going to be, you know, the, a, a judge uh, is going to assume that that is something that you agreed with at the time. And certainly the employer's version of events is going to be uh, much stronger in the situation if there's no if there's no written evidence on your part contemporaneous with the review itself it is 438 uh, live show uh, bring on your phone calls you have something to ask leah about uh, your job or your employment uh, maybe severance something to do with covid 19 a termination or a temporary layoff that's fine bring it on 604-280-9898 help at employmentlawyer.ca you need an employment lawyer when this one you definitely should uh, should be calling you and that is you've been given something to sign don't be doing that without talking to a lawyer yes oh yeah and i've i've changed that because uh in in our in previous life mm -hmm. this list that item said you know you've been offered a new employment agreement to sign but what i've realized over the last you know however many years is that um a lot of employees don't appreciate that something that an employer or a judge is going to hold against you as an employment agreement is actually an employment agreement. So you might get a letter of promotion, you might get a le letter that comes along with a salary increase, you know, you might get something that looks completely harmless to you yeah. mm -hmm. and actually could be quite detrimental. So I don't think that it's fair to just say that you need an employment lawyer when you've got a new employment agreement to sign. I think it's any time you are being asked to sign something that you don't understand in and of itself, I think yeah. that it's important to have uh, an employment lawyer. Not many companies are going to ask you to sign 
what is a new employment agreement for your benefit. Usually they're trying to introduce some term that limits their own liability, you know, their own exposure in, in a certain way. And, you know, that is why they are putting that employment agreement in front of you. Most of the time, the number one reason why an employer will put a new employment agreement in front of you is to try to limit your termination entitlements. A lot of individuals or a lot of employers right now are also putting new employment agreements in front of employees in order to make sure that they've got the right to lay somebody off. So yeah. that again is not something that your employer is allowed to do. They're not permitted to lay you off unless your contract says that. So unless your contract says, you know, the company reserves the right to lay you off in accordance with the needs of the business and, and you know, pursuant to the provisions of the Employment Standards Act, they can't just lay you off. You know, or they, they can, but then you, in that moment, have the opportunity to say, I don't accept this layoff, I treat yep. this as a termination, and I'm going to accept my severance. So those are the two main things that an employer is trying to change. There are all sorts of other sneaky provisions that they can that they can throw in there that look fairly innocuous, but actually aren't like, you know, reserving the right to change your location or change your wage or change your position. All of these sound fair, but I've also seen it essentially weaponized to move somebody into, you know, a part-time role when they've been working full-time. And all of a sudden, you know, you're faced with a contract that says you've got no recourse but to accept it. That is advice that I hate to give. It is opinion that I hate to give people when they call me. So, you know, don't put yourself in that situation in the first place. And the way that you don't get there is to make sure that you have an absolutely crystal clear understanding of anything that you are signing, particularly when it's an offer letter, when you get that new job. Make sure that you understand what you're signing. Make sure you understand how it impacts you. Uh, and, and what the consequences of signing it are. Yeah, welcome back. The number to call in here now and ask your question, 604-280-9898, help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address we use every week. Tasha, thank you so much for uh, for standing by for a couple minutes. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Go ahead. Um, so I started a new job, and I was just about to complete my three-month probation, um, while somebody in my house had COVID, so I had to take two weeks off uh, due to that. When I returned back to work, um, I had a letter sent or given to me on that Monday morning saying that I've been laid off due to uh, company restructuring. So, uh, and it was effective immediately. So I never got severance. I, every time I asked for my offer letter, um, they were, they kept on telling me that they were going to get a lawyer to get it because they were a new company. So I listened to them and I thought that okay maybe it's going to be after my three months they'll give me give me my offer letter but along the way they made comments about how my work wasn't up to their standards so I think this was just a way to terminate me without terminating me okay thank you so much for calling I'm really really glad that you did that's an excellent question and it's a really um, you know unfortunate situation that you're in so am I just, just to be clear, you never ended up getting any sort of offer letter or you've been asking for a copy of the offer letter that you've signed and you haven't received it? No, they, I kept on asking for it. There was no offer letter given to me at all. And the job that I okay. applied for, the description of it was completely changed to from the, from the time I arrived in the position. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you are almost certainly entitled to severance. 
okay, in okay. either situation. Number one, mm-hmm. um, I think that if you didn't have an offer letter, if there was no contract, if there was no agreement that you were on a probationary period, then mm-hmm. they can't rely on that. There's, there's no automatic application of a probationary period. There has to be an agreement that the first three months of your employment is gonna be probationary. Okay. Okay. So mm-hmm. if there's nothing like that in there, or if, mm-hmm. there, if you didn't agree to anything like that, then them terminating you, it doesn't matter that it's within the first three months, them terminating you is, is illegal without severance and they're gonna owe you severance. But even if there is an agreement, even if you know they unearth some email that says, you know, Tasha, we we're gonna this is gonna be a three month probationary period, and an offer letter is on its way. The whole point of a probationary period is that you need to make the standards of performance crystal clear, and you need to give somebody a fair shot. So the standard right. for terminating somebody during a probationary period is actually higher. This is why whenever I have an employer client who says, I want to put somebody on a 12 month probationary period, I talk them out of it because it makes it harder to terminate somebody in that instance. So if they weren't clear on the standards, on what those standards were, and they weren't clear on how you could improve, and you know the timing of your termination, I think is certainly a bit suspect, then it doesn't matter if there's an agreement because they haven't, they haven't fulfilled their own end of the bargain when it comes to the probationary period. So either way you're entitled to severance here, and I, I really highly recommend that you give us a call off air. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I knew that they couldn't do that, uh, ex- especially when I arrived to work on Monday. They said that it was effective mm-hmm. immediately. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was just the comments made here and there. So I kind of thought it was, this was just a way for them to terminate me. Yeah. And, and, you know, I do just want to say, too, just in case you're thinking and you don't want to ask, you know, how much could severance be if you've only been there for three months? And the thing is, is NBC, uh, short mm-hmm. service employees, and that includes individuals who have been there for one month, two months, six months, whatever, are entitled to disproportionately longer periods of notice. And that's particularly going to be true in the context, mm-hmm. in, in this present context, in, in this context of a global pandemic and an economic recession and a really depleted job market where finding other work is really few and far between. There's this idea that, you know, putting on your resume that you were only employed somewhere for three months doesn't look good. And it's going to hurt your chances in terms of getting other work. And so our courts compensate for that by actually awarding you more notice. And so short service employees typically get a minimum of around two to three months. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. All right, so Tasha. It, it's certainly going to be worthwhile. Yeah. Absolutely, Tasha. Here's how you here's how you reach out for sure. You'll want to do that. The follow up at six zero four two eight three thirty one twenty three. Again, six zero four two eight three. Thirty-one twenty-three. I think those are, uh, you know, those kind of important points you raise, Lee, about you know, uh, a probation period. It's it's that's a creature of a contract. It's not automatic that you're on probation for three months. And and you know that uh, that advice, or you were asked to uh, to arrange a twelve-month probation period. Even if you had done that and you had that written into a contract. Is it not only up to the three-month point where severances is can be? you can forego severance after that point for the remaining nine months, they would still be qualified for the employment standards minimum, meaning you can't go a full 12 months and let somebody go without anything, correct? John, you know, I'm sure that somewhere, somewhere in Ontario, Lior Samfiru is slow clapping at your 
uh, osmosis of all of the legal knowledge that he has been giving out on this program yeah. because you are absolutely yeah. correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could basically do this now. But yes, you're absolutely right. So a lot of people think that being on a probationary period uh, for whatever duration means that they can terminate you for nothing. Uh, the only time that that's true is within the first three months. So if you have a probationary clause that says that you know, we can, uh, we, we're going to have you on a probationary period for three months and one day. And if we terminate you at any point during that three months and one day, you're going to get no notice. That's an illegal agreement because uh, the Employment Standards Act, the any kind of provincial employment standards legislation is going to only allow um, no minimum statutory severance within that those first three months. So you can have a longer probationary period but anything after three months, you still need to get your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act, which if it's less than 12 months is going to be one week. See, there's always some good stuff to talk about. Uh, you still got a few minutes, by yeah. the way, to call through and ask Lee a question right there. 604-280-9898. And that would be the number for the next uh, few minutes. So if you're going to do it, do it now. You need an employment lawyer when something has changed in the terms of your employment. We've been seeing this a lot over the last uh, 49, 50 weeks too, right, with uh, COVID-19 especially. Oh my God! How dare you put it in the form of weeks? That's, that sounds so. Know, right? That sounds so long. But you're right. <laughs> yes, I mean exactly what we were talking about off the hop too. Right? Is that yeah. employers are and understandably, I get it. Right? Everybody is trying to keep their business open. I, I have a lot of sympathy for employers in that circumstance, and I also think that that's why a lot of employees are accepting these changes when they might not have to. And you know, I have those conversations with employees too. Is you know, maybe what you want to do because we are in such extreme circumstances is accept this change until the company can get back on its feet. But what you want to do is say, OK, fine, reduce my hours, you know, change my location, um, you know, give me a, a curbside job, whatever the case may be. But this is just to be absolutely clear, employer, this is only something that I am accepting for the duration of the pandemic or the duration of you know three months or whatever the case may be. You wanna be clear about that because otherwise agreeing to a change in an essential term or condition of your employment uh, can really come back to bite you in the end. That can be taken you know, as a, an implied term that your employer can then continue to change it. So if your employer you know, starts moving you around to cut costs for the pandemic and you agree to that and you don't say anything, then what that means is that once everything is stabilized, they can still move you around, right? And what that can come with is, you know, a, well, a lot of instability and perhaps also a reduction in pay. So anytime you've got an employer, your company is trying to change your hours of work, your duties and responsibilities, even the method in which you're paid, you know, hourly versus salary versus, you know, variable compensation, any essential term of employment, your employer is not permitted to make that change unless you have agreed to those changes by way of an employment agreement or you agree to accept the change when it's presented and that is the really that's the really key part here and that's why it's so important to seek the advice of a lawyer because if you work in that new role you know or in that new location or with the new pay for too long then eventually you will be deemed to have agreed to that change and at yeah. that point, there's nothing else that you can do. You are going to be stuck with it. Otherwise, if you don't agree with it and there's no agreement, a change like that constitutes what's called at law a constructive dismissal. 
And if you've been constructively dismissed, it is the exact same thing. It's the same analysis in terms of severance. If you have just been explicitly terminated and you are entitled to say, I do not accept this change and now I want my severance. Got about a minute and a half, so I'll squeeze this last one in here. You need an employment lawyer when you are not being paid overtime. Not good. Oh, yes, that's a, that's a good one. And it's also, I mean, it's not necessarily something that you need a lawyer for, but again, it's something that you need to understand the parameters of um, how you pursue it and how quickly you need to, to pursue it. So a lot of time, overtime is something that you can only pursue through the employment standards branch. And there's going to be a time limit on when you can do that. So for the most part, you can only go back a year. So, you know, I've had people call me with five years of outstanding overtime. And unless there's a contractual entitlement to overtime, they're fairly limited with what they can get at the employment standards branch. So it's really, really important if you are somebody who works a lot of overtime that you speak to a lawyer and you have an understanding of what you're entitled to and how you go about enforcing it if you aren't receiving it. Let me tell you, a lot of employers, they don't understand overtime, yeah. you know, or they don't know that it's time and a half, or they don't know that it goes to double time after 12 hours. So it's usually a tricky situation because you want to remain employed, obviously, you want to continue to mm -hmm. get those hours, but a lawyer can certainly uh, assist you in recovering overtime that you're owed and ensure that it's done professionally, even as an armchair quarterback, which is something that I do often in these situations. Good way to wrap it up for the day. Awesome stuff. You want to reach out to Leah and her team at the firm now, you can. 604-283-3123. The number help at employmentlawyer.ca. Simple email address. And, of course, the uh, like having an employment lawyer with you at all times, whatever device you choose to use, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is a good place to start, and employmentlawyer.ca to get links to our long-running television show as well. Appreciate you tuning in this afternoon. We'll catch you next weekend. Employment Law Show.